Scripture reading for the sermon, Ephesians chapter 1. Praise, to, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which has, he has freely given us in of, in, of his glorious grace which, we, which he has freely given us the ones he loves. In him we have redemption through the one, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us that the mystery of his will according to his good pleasures which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of the glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together as we approach God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We acknowledge our need for it. Your Word gives truth and life, and we ask that the Holy Spirit today would guide me as I speak, that you would speak to each one of us for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. In, uh, in 1988, a man named David Mazurik purchased a farm in central Michigan. And as he was in the process of uh, buying this piece of property, he was uh, looking through the barn and he saw on a shelf in the back of a barn this big old rock that was sitting there. And he asked the people who were selling the farm, what's the deal with the rock over here? And they said, oh, you can have that rock. That's uh, just an old stone that we held on to for years because we thought, they said, we thought it might be a meteorite. And they explained to him that a couple of decades before they had seen a shooting star one night and they heard a loud noise and then the next day they were out in the field and they ran across this big stone. And so they thought, hey, maybe this fell from the sky, maybe it's a meteorite, so they held on to it. So anyway, this man, Missouri, he purchased this farm and he didn't know what to do with this rock. So for 30 years, while he was farming that land, he used this 22-pound stone as a doorstop. He used it to kind of hold open the door to his barn. Well, in 2018, shortly after he retired from farming, 
uh, Mr. Mazurik heard a report that sometimes rock collectors will pay money for meteorites. And he remembered this old stone in the barn, so he figured, hey, why don't I look into this? So I guess he took this stone, threw it in the back of his pickup, and he drove down the road to a nearby state university where he w looked for the geology professor. And he asked this professor if she would take a look at this stone. So the professor looked at this rock, and she immediately said, that is definitely a meteorite. It is the largest one I've ever seen. And she estimated its value at $100,000. That's right, for, th for three decades, this farmer in Michigan was propping open the door to his barn with a stone worth $100,000. Now, you've probably heard stories like this before, right? We hear of people who, they have an object in their possession, they think it's common, they think it's not worth very much, not realizing that it is of priceless value. Now, the reason I share this is because it seems to me that very often we Christians do this with our salvation. We, we've heard that God has saved us, so we figure that must be a good thing, right? We call Jesus our Savior, so I guess it's nice. Pastors are always up here talking about salvation, this, salvation, that, so we figure it must, it must have some value to it. But listen to me, church, we have no idea. We have, listen, we have no idea the infinite worth of what God has done in rescuing us and bringing us into his family. Now, this passage in Ephesians 1, and by the way, this summer we're preaching, we're preaching passages from the lectionary, which is, which is a Bible reading program that churches uses in, in their worship services. This, this passage from Ephesians 1 is designed to do one thing, and that is to reveal to us the infinite value of our salvation. And you'll notice if you look at this passage that we're told here that in, in saving us, all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in accomplishing our salvation. The Christian, listen, the Father loves you. The Son loves you, the Spirit loves you, and they are all involved in bringing you into God's family. So let's just break this down. First, let's look at, at the work of the Father. And you see here that, Christian, the Father planned your salvation. The Father planned to save you. It, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4 for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Christian, isn't this, isn't this mind-boggling? Before the world was created, before the universe existed, God was thinking about you and chose you to be his. You see that same idea in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. That word predestined is, is a word that means to determine beforehand or to foreordain. You see the same thought in verse 11. 
It says, in him we were also chosen, having, be pre, pre, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So again and again in this passage, we are told that God the Father, Christian, he planned to save you. You are not here by accident. He chose to rescue you. This didn't happen without His will. He foreordained your adoption. He wanted you in the family. It says He predestined us in conformity with the purpose of His will. He planned to save you. Now, let me tell you one reason this is important to, to, just to keep in mind. Because sometimes... Um, Sometimes we can misunderstand the gospel, and sometimes we can think that the gospel tells us that God the Father, God the Father was really, really angry with us because we're sinners, and He wanted to punish us and throw us into hell, but then God the Son interfered. God the Son came, and He took our place on the cross, and now, even though He doesn't want to, the Father is reluctantly obligated to forgive us and bring us into the kingdom. That is a horrible, horrible distortion of the gospel. The gospel teaches, listen, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. He has loved you from all eternity. He chose you. So Christian, I, I know this raises lots of questions, but one thing this tells me, that when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, one thing you will never, ever, ever hear from the lips of the Father is... Who invited you? How did you get here? No. What you'll hear the Father say is welcome home. Welcome home. We've been waiting for you. We've been expecting you. He planned to save you. Now, as I said, that raises all, all kinds of questions. One, one question is this. Why did God choose to save us? Is it because we're special? Is, is it because we're better than other people? Oh, <laughs> absolutely not. Look, look, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. It doesn't say He chose us because we're holy and blameless in His sight, right? It says He chose us so that we would be holy and blameless. You, you see, listen. Guys, before God saved us through Christ, we were anything but holy, right? We were anything but blameless. In fact, if you read on in Ephesians, you get to chapter 2, here's what you'll read. You'll read that before Jesus came into your life, listen, it says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It says that we, all of us, we followed the ways of this world. It says that you and I, we went through our lives, it says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. And Ephesians 2 verse 3 says that you and I, like everyone else in the world, we were objects of God's wrath. In other words, there, is, there was nothing good about us. There was nothing special about us. There was nothing noble about us that motivated the Father to choose us. So then you, you say, well, then why did He? Why did He choose us? Verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise 
of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. In, in other words, God chose people who did not deserve to be chosen so that for the rest of eternity we would praise His grace. We would just be overwhelmed with the sense of gratitude. We would say, why am I here? And the only answer to that question would be grace. It, it, verse 12 says that we were chosen in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. God chose people who did not deserve to be chosen so that rather than going around thinking that we're better than others, and let's admit it, sometimes Christians do that, rather than going around thinking we're better than others, we would go around just rejoicing in this undeserved grace. Jackie Hill Perry is a Christian author and poet, and here's something she said. She said, to think that I, that I had something to do with my salvation is a little bit arrogant, to think that I had the power to take the veil from my own eyes. But, she said, it gives God all the glory for me to say, all of this is yours. All of this is your doing. My salvation is yours. So one, one thing we see in this passage about our salvation, about the work of the Father, is Christian, the Father planned to save you. The second thing we see is that the Son, the Father planned your salvation. We see that the Son purchased your salvation. Verse 7 says, in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, that, that word re that's translated redemption is a word that meant to set free or to deliver through the payment of a price. It, or you could have translated it, it meant to pay a ransom so that someone else might go free. In, uh, in 2004, um, Denzel Washington made a movie called Man on Fire. And in this movie, uh, Denzel played the role of a bodyguard who worked for a very wealthy family in Mexico City. And the little daughter in this family was kidnapped. And so in the process of trying to get this little girl delivered uh, through a series of events that really only make sense in the movies, I don't think this would ever happen in real life, but it reached the point where the kidnappers, the cartel that had kidnapped this little girl, they said that the only way they would ever release her was if this bodyguard, played by Denzel Washington, if he were to give his life in exchange for hers. That was the only way she would be set free, if he gave his life for her life. Do you realize, guys, listen, that's what Jesus did for us. It says we have redemption, what? Through his blood. That, that phrase, through his blood, that's kind of shorthand, a shorthand way of saying through his death. You know this. On the cross, God the Son, Jesus himself, gave his life. Christian, in exchange for yours, he loved you that much. He gave his life so that you might be set 
free to come into the kingdom of God. Therefore, we read here that if you're trusting in Jesus, verse 7 says, here's what you have received. You have received the forgiveness of sins. Someone says, well, the forgiveness of which sins? The, the sins that I committed that weren't really very bad? Yeah, those ones are forgiven. And also, those sins that cause you the deepest sense of shame and remorse. Forgiven. You say, oh, oh you mean the sins that I, I, I was conscious of and so I confess them to God. If I confess them, they're forgiven, right? Yes, if you confess them, they're forgiven. But even the sins you never confessed, even the sins you're not even aware of, even the ones you forgot, all of them, forgiven. And someone says, oh, I guess you're talking about the sins that I committed in the past. Yes, the sins of the past are forgiven. And also, all the sins of the future, they're all forgiven. Jesus paid for all of your sins. They're gone, Christian. For, by the way, don't you think someone should have said amen to that? Your sins are gone. First John 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Not some sin, all of it. I had a friend who, uh, when she graduated from college, uh, she, she received a card, I guess in the mail, from a family friend. And uh, she opened the card. It says, congratulations on, on you know, finishing your, your studies. And then at the bottom of the card, it was signed, and it said, all of your student debt is gone. I'm paying your entire student loan. Whew, I see some faces here. Wouldn't that be amazing? You realize, listen, a gift like that doesn't even begin to compare. Christian, for what Jesus did for you, all of your moral debt, any way you've ever failed, any way you've ever fallen short, it's all gone. It's gone. It's paid for, right? The Son purchased our salvation. That's what you'll notice in this passage. There's one phrase that just keeps repeating again and again. The phrase is, in Him, in Him, in Christ, in Christ. Like every blessing the apostles describing, it's all given to us in Him. Verse 3, God blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, He chose us in Him. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 11, in Him we were chosen. Verse 13, you were marked in Him with a seal. Why does the apostle keep repeating this phrase? In Him, in Him, in Him, in Christ. I'll tell you why. Because every facet of your salvation, every dimension of what God has done in rescuing you and bringing you into the family. It's all accomplished by Jesus. He did it all. The Father planned your salvation. You are not in the family by accident. You were supposed to be here. The Son purchased your salvation. He paid the price of His very life out of love for you. And the Spirit applied your salvation. The, 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 the Father planned it. The Son purchased it. The Spirit is the one. He is the one who applies it. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes salvation from being merely an intellectual concept for us and brings it home and makes it 
real. Verse, verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with a seal. I don't know if you've ever had to get a document notarized. Have you ever done that? You, you take the document, you find a notary public, and maybe it's in a law office or in a, in a bank somewhere. You go in, and you, and you bring in this piece of paper, and really all it is is a piece of paper, right? That's it, is a piece of paper with some words on it. It doesn't really have much value. But you go in there, and, and the notary, he or she, asks you for identification, asks you to sign the document in their presence, and then the notary public takes out the seal, the official stamp given them by the state of New York, and they seal that document. And the instant they seal it, it's binding now. In other words, the instant they stamp that document, that document is now real in a sense that it was not before. It's no longer just words on a piece of paper. There is a reality to it, and that's the image that's here. The Holy Spirit is the seal. He's the one who takes the gospel from, from merely being some words you've heard about in church and stamps it onto your heart, and it's real now. It's real for you. An author named James M. Boyce in his, um, his commentary on Ephesians, here's, here's the way he explained that sealing work of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand what Christ has done for us. He grants faith to believe on Jesus. He moves our wills to embrace Christ as our personal Savior. This work of the Spirit, he says, is necessary because apart from it, no one would turn from sin to Christ. Instead, we would all turn from Christ deeming His Lordship something to be repudiated, deeming the just demands of God something to be abhorred. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the world crucifies Christ. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one. He, he makes the gospel real. He seals it onto our heart. Has He done that for you? He makes it real. Now, you might be asking, well, how, how, how would I know if the Holy Spirit's done that for me? How would I know if this, this has taken place in my life? Well, look, look, what does it say at the end of verse 13? It says, it says, end of verse 13, when you spoke in tongues, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, it says, when you finished reading through the entire Bible and you understood all of it and you no longer had any doubts, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's not what it says, right? It, it's, it says, when you finally got rid of all your struggles with temptation and reached the point where you never sinned anymore, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's not what it says. You know, it doesn't say things like that. It says, when you believed, you were marked. When you simply trusted Jesus you were marked. Let me ask you a question. Are you simply trusting Jesus? You don't have all the answers. You still have doubts. You've got lots of struggles. You're still kind of a mess if you're like me. But you're trusting Jesus. If you're doing that, you know who brought you to trust Him. The Holy Spirit, He loves you. He's the one who brought you to trust in Christ. And listen, if you haven't trusted Christ, 
did you know that you're invited? I mean, the Bible does teach that God has chosen His people. He chose some, but it also tells us that all are invited. You are invited. In fact, perhaps today the Holy Spirit through me is just inviting you. Trust Jesus. Won't you trust Jesus? Don't you think, listen, don't you think today would be a good day to start trusting Jesus as your Savior? So the Holy Spirit does this. He's the one who applies. He, he seals our salvation. He makes it real. But He does more than that. He doesn't just make it real. He keeps it real for us. He's not just the one who seals our salvation. He's the one, we read here, who guarantees our salvation. Verse 14, the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So Christian, Christian, you believe in Christ today. How do you know you'll keep believing in Christ? How do you know that a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now, you won't wander away? I'll tell you how you can know you won't wander away. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and He won't let you go. You ever love something so much that you just will not let go of it? He loves you that much and He'll do what He has to do. You may not always like it. But he'll do what he has to do to keep you in God's family. He's the guarantee. He, he makes the gospel real to you. He, he seals it to your heart, and he keeps it real for you. He guarantees he's got his hand on you. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 6, Christian, he said that you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. So our salvation is a, it's a treasure. <laughs> this is not some old rock you use just to prop open the barn door, right? We, we, for all of eternity, we'll be trying to figure out the glory of what God has done for us. The Father, listen, the Father from all eternity planned for you to be His daughter, for you to be His son. That the, God the Son paid the ultimate price so that you could come into the family, and God the Spirit went looking for you and brought you to Jesus, and He's not going to let go. And all of this, every last drop of this, is by grace. Not deserved. We didn't earn it. It's just flowing out of unlimited resources of love. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that for those who know you, you would revive within us the joy of our salvation, that you would help us to see it again with fresh eyes, to feel again how deeply loved we are, and to rejoice in you. And I pray for any who have not yet come to Christ, that today would be the day you call them out of darkness into your marvelous light, that they too might declare your praise and know the joy of your love for them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.